Well, I'm super excited today. Uh, I am going to uh, speak, I think, for like 19 minutes. So super short for me anyways. And But uh, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper today and uh, take communion together. So um, brother, brother Alfred's going to come up a little bit later and help me, help me with that. So man, what a joy it is when God is in our midst. Amen. When, uh, when Anna started singing out this morning, I was just reminded of that passage in the book of Samuel, Samuel, where it talks about Hannah pouring her heart out to the Lord. And I just think there's something really special when the body of Christ decides to give their hearts to the Father in that way. Amen. So, you know, the thing is, is that you can worship God by yourself and you should. You should make it a, a habit and a practice in your life to orient yourself to the Father. Uh, maybe driving along in your car, you should sing praises to the Lord. You know, the glory of the Lord can fill the inside of your car. But there is something that happens when we gather together and we worship God together. There's something about proximity to one another in the uh, pursuing of God together that you really can't get it any other way. I don't know how to explain it. It's just the way it is. There's a grace that is bestowed upon the body of Christ when we worship together, when we worship God together. So I'm so glad to be a part of a family that has decided to go after the Lord in that way. So, I mean, I mean, personally, I need it. I need it. Anybody else like that? You need that in your life. I need to be with other people. I need the spirit of God working in my life. I need the presence of God in my life with you all together. So um, <clears throat> let's see. It is so wonderful when our eyes are open to see God at work. When someone has eyes to see God working, they call it out. And they say, hey, guys, God is doing something. Look and see and pay attention. That's what Anna was doing on the stage this morning. God was moving and she was, she was responding. She's like, hey, check this out. God's moving. Does anybody else in the room feel this? You know, when we give our amen to that. There's something powerful that happens. You know, just because God is moving or God is working in, in a place, it doesn't mean that everybody sees it. Which is okay. That's all right, because some of what he does is hidden. But if we can see it, if we can hear it, we can be a part of it. So it's all right if you don't see it, because that doesn't keep him from moving, it doesn't keep him from working. But man, when you see it, there's something that happens and you get to join into it. I love it when God pours out his heart to us because that is when we begin to experience how much he loves us. And when that happens, that is when change really starts happening. In Acts chapter three and verse 19, there's this phrase that I love. It says that times of refreshing happened. Times of refreshing came and, and do you know why they came? It says that the people who heard the gospel, they repented. They changed the way that they had been thinking and they began focusing and reorienting themselves toward the gospel. And because of that, times of refreshing came into their lives, into that actual moment 
into that actual place. There was a time of refreshing that people in the room at the time said, hey, look, God's doing something. We should pay attention. And then other people heard it and they're like, yeah, I know that's true. I see it. I feel it. And then out of that, something happened and the, and the body of Christ grew out of that experience. You know, some people want to make faith all about something that is known by the intellect, but that is a part of it. There's another part that can only be had through experience. You don't want it only by experience, but definitely you do want to experience the presence of God, the love of God in your life. Amen. So when people start experiencing God's love in their own lives, things really begin to change. Okay. We become a people who are, are not afraid. We stop being afraid of the world that we live in and the love that we receive is the love that we can give. You know, how many of you guys know that you can only give away what you have? If you don't have it, you can't give it, right? So somebody can, somebody can come along and say, you should be a nice person, but if you're not nice, you can't be nice, right? It's simple math. But if you, if you've been filled with something good, you can give that something good to somebody else. All right. That's why it's important that we are continually reorienting ourselves to Jesus and his way and letting the Holy Spirit continually fill us with his presence, with his power, with his love. Because when we have it on the inside, we can take it to the outside. All right. So when we change, our communities change. And communities change because our minds change. All right? So this is why the Holy Spirit is very important to us as believers. The Holy Spirit changes our minds. All right? So as we prayerfully give our life to him every day, that change is taking place on the inside of us has an effect on the world around us, in our families and in our other relationships. To walk the Jesus way, to do the Father's will, we need the Holy Spirit daily in our lives. All right? So the question is why? Why do we need the Holy Spirit in our lives? Here's why. Because it is not always easy to recognize when God is moving. We on our own sometimes miss God moving in our lives. And because of that, the Father has sent us the Holy Spirit to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. All right. Let me say it this way. It is possible. It is possible to not see the kingdom of God. All right. It is possible to not be able to hear the kingdom of God. It's not a given. It's not a given that we are always paying attention to what God is doing. 
Adam Russell says this. He says, uh, salvation is just a continual waking up. I heard him say that last Friday. I thought, man, that's fantastic. Salvation isn't a one-time event where you just get your get-out-of-hell-free card and then you're just saved. No, it's this continual growing into paying more attention to what God is doing, not only in your life but in the community that you inhabit. And it's possible to miss it in your own life and to miss it in the life of your community if you're not paying attention. Okay, just because you are and just because the Holy Spirit is doesn't mean you guys are tracking on the same track. So God's always tracking. You're just not necessarily always tracking with God. So Jesus calls this out one day in the telling of a story. It's the story, many of you know, it's in Matthew 13. It's the story of the farmer who's sowing seed and he's telling this wonderful parable. And I'm not going to get into that parable today. You could spend a lifetime actually studying that parable. But he's, he's, he's telling the story and, uh, and people are generally baffled when Jesus speaks. Amen? Like how many of you guys read the Bible and you're baffled? It's this continual story of my life. I read the Bible, I don't understand it, all right? Welcome to life, okay? So Jesus is hard to understand, all right? But he says this at one point. Blessed are your eyes because they see, and blessed are your ears because they hear. Let me say that again. Blessed are your eyes because they see, and blessed are your ears because they hear. Now, there were two groups of people that were in the uh, sound of his voice. Um, he was telling this parable, and then there was many people who did not understand what he was saying. And then he had this small group of people that he kind of like revealed the, the moral of the story. He had a parable, and then nobody understands it. And then he takes his disciples aside, and he kind of gives them the inside scoop on what he uh, was saying, but the truth is, even though he gave them the translation of what he was saying, they still didn't understand. All right, Jesus has a way of doing that. He's like, okay, oh, you don't get, you don't get it from this angle. Let me give it to you another way, and then he just adds more confusion to it. You know, but but despite that, he says, "Blessed are you, because your eyes see and your ears hear." All right, if I understand nothing else from that passage, here's what I'm going to proclaim over myself. I'm blessed because my eyes see and my ears hear. And if for no other reason that I'm just saying to the Lord, Father, I'm paying attention. I may not have all the understanding right now, but I'm definitely paying attention to what you're saying and what you're showing. All right? Help me, Jesus. All right. So this is why we want to be a people who are prayerful, who are people before the Lord asking for help from the Holy Spirit because we want to have eyes to see and ears to hear, all right? So this thing happened to me. Last Monday, I was driving into the office and I was pulling onto John Belk Freeway and uh, I wasn't thinking any deep thoughts, nothing spiritual was happening, but uh, uh, out of nowhere, the Lord spoke to me and he said two phrases. He said, the people of God are connoisseurs of faith and curators of the unseen. 
Let me say that again. He said, people of God, the people of God are connoisseurs of faith and curators of the unseen. Now, that was very interesting to me because the word curate had popped up in, in my general direction uh, within the last week before the Lord said that to me. I heard the word curate two times. And, and, I, and I thought I knew what that word meant. Um, I didn't quite fully understand it. So when I got into the office, I went and looked it up. And it was just fascinating to me. So let me, let me give you the definition of this word curate, all right? So the verb form of it is to pull together, to sift through, and to select for presentation uh, like music or, or art. So somebody could, could curate uh, an exhibit, an art exhibit. And what that person does is they're selecting a, a distinct group of paintings or, or sculptures, and they're going to display those, those things for the benefit of the people that are going to come into proximity with that exhibit, okay? That's, that's the noun form of it, or the, or the verb form, I should say. Now, this, was, this really baffled me. When I got to the noun form of it, the noun form of curate is, it's, uh, it's like a, a priestly office. It's an ecclesiastic or a minister who is entrusted with the cure of souls. All right, you could say it this way. It's, it's a minister or somebody who is in charge of or entrusted with the care of souls. The Latin cura is, it means to care. It means to care. So the father was like dropping this, this glory bomb into my brain. The, the people of God are supposed to be curating what is not seen yet for the world that they currently inhabit. We're supposed to be selecting and displaying the unseen nature of the kingdom into the reality of our lives, into the reality of our communities, into the reality of our city. I was super excited about that little revelation that the Lord gave me right there. I had always known about decorating a home, but I had not thought much about a place being curated. Um. So let, 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 me, let me just say this. The, the other part of that little thing the Lord shared with me was connoisseurs of faith, all right? A connoisseur is someone who is an expert judge in matters of taste. A curator is someone who gives the overall shape and feel to an exhibit. So, you know, if you're a curator of something, you're probably a connoisseur in that field that you're curating. So if you are somebody who's enthusiastic about cigars, you could, you could curate a cigar selection and bring some people together and you could say, you should try these because these are really good and they're special and they're rare. And some people could try those and they could, they could have a whole world opened up to them that they hadn't previously experienced or walked into because that curator was faithful to being a curator. I, I am, I know I'm meandering, but I'm actually going somewhere with this, okay? So, uh, so a curator is someone who gives the overall shape and feel to an exhibit. They pull together, sift through, and select for presentation. Curators inform people's taste. Curators reveal to people things that they haven't seen before. 
Curators cultivate appreciation in others by exposing them to things that they've never before imagined. The interesting thing to note is that the noun form of curate is a minister with pastoral responsibility entrusted with the cure and the care of souls. All right? So why is all this important? Why am I talking about this? So I love it. I love being a part of a prophetic community. Okay? If you haven't discovered that yet, we're, it's kind of how we roll around here. We're, we're always paying attention for what the Lord is speaking to us. And, um, you know, I used to try to be a, a communicator who had really good uh, linear thoughts, and I tried to put thoughts in order in a linear way for people to understand, but I had to eventually throw all of that out because I'm not a linear thinker. I kind of like, I think a thought over here, then I think a thought over here, and I think a thought over here, and it's like, and then at some point I have to go back and I have to connect dots. So that's that's just how I roll, so bear with me. So. But, but the Lord speaks that word to me on Monday. I'm kind of, you know, John, Mike, Mark and I are talking about it, uh, this week and kind of getting excited about it. I got an invitation to go to Springfield, Ohio. And, uh, um, I, I was there on Friday. I had never been to Ohio before. Is there anybody here from Ohio? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's right. You guys are from Ohio. So, so I had never been there before. Fascinating place, Ohio, you know? Is it's a really interesting spot, you know? So so I roll into Springfield, Ohio. Anybody know where that is? Okay, not many people. It's not it's not it's not a real happening place. So I, I roll in about two o'clock into this into the city of about a hundred thousand, and I am simultaneously appalled and intrigued at the exact same time. Because I roll down the main drag and I'm, and I, you know, within five minutes of driving down the main drag, what I've, what I've come to realize is that this place, their, the heyday of this city was a hundred years ago. And, and, uh, so I'm driving down one particular street and it looks like Myers Park, except about 50% of the houses are totally abandoned. And any, anybody that, any house that does have a car in front of it, um, it is really run down. So the city itself is, it, it's, it's at a point where it's hurting. It's at a point where the, f- the past is much brighter than the present and there's not much of a hope of a future coming down the pike for the city. And so I'm, I am, uh, I love architecture. So I, I head down, downtown and I start taking photographs of all of the decaying brick buildings that are falling over. And because there's some beautiful architecture still, still happening. And I was just like, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm very curious about situations like that. So I, I end up, uh, landing at the the place where I was going to do my house show that night and I come in contact with this family and uh these are the the folks that had invited me to do a show in Springfield Ohio of all places and within 30 minutes of being with this people what I realized was I was in the home of a family of curators all right this is a family that had moved from one of the most beautiful Regions in America, they move, moved from Puget Sound in Washington State 
to Springfield, Ohio, to camp out in a city that had no future with the call of God on their life to speak to the dead places a future that nobody else in the city was yet proclaiming. And, and the funny thing is, is that they didn't even know that's what they were doing. But the Lord had talked to me, been talking to me about being a curator all week. And so I show up on the scene and I'm like, whoa, guys, what y'all are doing here, even though you feel like you're in last place, even though you don't feel like you're making any headway, even though you don't feel like the things that you have been doing are making much of a difference, you are the actual standard bearer, the gold standard for what this city is about to become. And where there were no good restaurants before, they opened up one of the best restaurants in the city. There wasn't a coffee shop before in the town. They opened one up. They've started developing an artist's guild in this, in this city. And now all of these artists are coming out of the woodwork because these people are saying, um, the kingdom of God is among you. Our city is not lost. The city that the, the, the world, the spirit of the age has been de declaring that this, the history of this place is over. We're here to say the exact opposite, that the kingdom of God is here. And they're not just prophetically proclaiming it, although they are, they are doing something about it. Whew. I'm glad, I'm glad to get the sense that this is maybe making sense at some point. <laughs> so I'm, I'm tracking with this family of curates in the middle of a place that has been, been deemed as God forsaken, all right? Um, and, and as I'm tracking with him, I, this is what I realized. A curate is somebody who goes the opposite way of the powers and principalities that are doing all the deconstructing, all right? So if you have your Bibles, let's open it up. 2 Corinthians 5.11. Um, start at 11 and I'm going to go through uh, verse 21. <clears throat> Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God. That means God is aware of what we're doing. And I hope that we are made manifest to you and your consciences. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but we are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, meaning if we are crazy, it is for God. And if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of God, the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. And even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Yeah. Now, this is an interesting thing. Side note, the... the uh, Ah, I don't remember if it was the Greek or the Hebrew, but one of those uh, original languages, it reads it like this. 
Um, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. It's not he is a new creation, although he or she may very well be. What Paul's trying to say is these people carrying around the new creation within themselves, everywhere they go, the new creation goes with them. This, the, whoever's got the, the, that spirit of reconciliation, the redemption power on the inside of them, wherever they go, that's going with them. They're making a way where there is no way because they're carrying that with them. All right, so I'll move on here. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. This is the art of being a curator. This is what a curator does. They, they, they walk around and they curate the unseen into the scene. They curate the unseen things of the kingdom of God into the earth. This is who we were created to be. We are created to be communicating to people that they are already the redeemed of God, that they are already the forgiven of God. And you are a walking pardon of God everywhere you go. And just like Paul, who is saying, we no longer know anyone according to the flesh, neither do you. You walk into a city and you don't see a city according to the way the flesh sees it. You see it the way the kingdom of God declares that it is. That's who you are. Every dead place you call it alive. It's the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. This is the deal, guys. God is persuading the world through us. We are the appeal of God to men. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who know, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Man, if you've ever had a thought like you're just a sorry old sinner on your way to heaven just trying to get through, that is a complete and utter lie. You are today the righteousness of God. This is who you are. And, and, and even if you feel otherwise, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> Sometimes what you feel is a total lie. I mean, I'm not saying we should turn our feelings off. I mean, I love a good feel. <laughs> but you know, it's not always good to believe everything that you feel. And it's not always good to believe every errant thought that runs through your brain. Just because you thought it doesn't mean it's true necessarily. That's why it's, it's, it pays to be in community with people. Because when you start feeling like you've gone crazy, when you start feeling down, when you start feeling discouraged, somebody can come you know, around you and help you through that. They can help curate their, God's reality into your life. You know, I feel like I'm an aficionado of the presence of God. That's how I feel. I feel like I'm an, I am an enthusiastic partaker in the presence of God. And because I'm excited about the presence of God, people around me get to be excited about the presence of God too. 
I love being around people who have faith on their lips because they've got it on their lips. Those, those, they get on mine, man. I start thinking those good thoughts too. It's just the way this works. That's why you kind of have to be careful who you're hanging around with because some people don't want you to have any faith at all. Some people want you to be totally discouraged. I, just, I don't know why. I mean, I had a guy who was telling me that some pastor in his town was getting mad at him because he was praying for people to be healed. And I thought, what? What? Like, what? I don't understand what anybody could be mad about praying for the sick to be healed. I mean, all day long we should be doing that. I mean, even if we never saw healing ever, I'm still praying for the sick. Because I believe in the supernatural. I believe in the supernatural power of God, and I just feel like going for it. No matter how many disappointments I encounter in my life, my default mode should and always be one of faith. Because that's really the only thing that makes my heart come alive. I tried unbelief. It just doesn't work. I mean, I honestly have given it a shot. I really have. I've tried to be really smart. I've tried to be really rational. I've tried to uh, um, jump all the way into unbelief with everything that I could, and it was no fun at all. You know, so I'd rather do the flip side. I'd rather have all the belief that I can get, all the faith that I can get, all the passion for Jesus that I can get. You know, my wife and kids will tell you that I'm, I am difficult to live with. I mean, it's, let's just be honest. You know, I don't always get it right, you know, but man, Jesus is so good. He's so good living with every day and he's so worth paying attention to every day. And I just feel such a, uh, uh, a drawing by the spirit of God for us as a community to not be ashamed to be curators of the unseen. So, so the world that you're walking through is forgiven. Just think about that for a second. The world that you're walking through is already forgiven. The world you're walking through has already been redeemed. The world that you're walking through has been totally reconciled by God. And your job is just to tell people how loved they are, how redeemed they are, how forgiven they are. So we walk through the world curating redemption and we give people a taste of the goodness of God and we persuade men that God has not counted our trespasses against us and therefore we stand as the innocent and beloved of God. And this is what it means to be the curators of the unseen. We walk as the pardon of God, proclaiming his mercy and love as recipients and beneficiaries of his love. And we are compelled to reveal the kingdom of God among us everywhere we go. You know, uh, I, I had this thought one time. I'm going to ask Al to come up. Al, come on up and get ready. Um, I had, uh, my friend Anthony Skinner said to me one time, he said, Andy, I, I quit trying to love God and I just let him love me. 
And it was such a beautiful moment. It was like it just turned everything upside down for me. And uh, while I was thinking about what he said, I kind of had a, another thought about the way the gospel message goes. And this might challenge some of you. I don't care. Um, <laughs> but I used to think that the gospel was this. Believe and then you'll be redeemed. But I, I want to suggest a different narrative. I think it goes more like this. You're redeemed. The only thing left to do is believe. I mean, think about that for a second. That is the proclamation of the gospel. The world is reconciled to God. The world has been forgiven. We are redeemed. All we have to do is curate that for people. Wow. Wow. Just, just take, that was a lot. So just take a second. Yeah, wasn't it? You know, sometimes you just got to wait for that cup of coffee after a good meal. Hmm. John gave us, you know, when you, when you start, when you start reading the, when you stop reading the Bible like a Chinese food menu, you can read Corinthians and you're preaching. It's so old school. I mean, so old school. Those letters that Paul wrote, that was church. And the words that John wrote, where he gave his clues as to what Andy's saying on the first day of the week, he made, he made it, there were so many clues in John's gospel that if we just think about the fact that those guys were trying to verbalize what it was to have some person that was so ordinary yet so divine and mysterious. There was this commonness, this ordinary thing about Jesus that he allowed himself to slip by at a moment. And maybe that was why he said, go by two. Because that other person that was with you might catch it because you might not. And so I, I have a lot of appreciation for what I've seen practitioned this morning. Um, in terms of what we're moving towards. How many of you are familiar with communion? Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, awesome. Um, it's a sacrament in the church, and I don't, I don't, want, I don't want us to be scared of that, because that, that's a big word that just means it was, it was a holy practice. It was something that, you know, I'm big on eschatological stuff, but what I mean by eschatological is that I place myself within the story so when I'm reading about Peter's life, I'm not looking at Peter and going, ha, 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 Peter. I'm actually seeing my part of myself in Peter. And so when we partake of communion, of this common union, of the common cup of the Lord's Supper together, we are going back to something that Jesus did a long time ago with his disciples. And we are maintaining that tradition to place ourselves within the story of Jesus now. So this isn't just some story that happened. These, these guys were just like us. They were like walking around like, what's going on, man? Like Jesus takes, I mean, it's very 
cultural. I have my in-laws are all Mediterranean, so to have pita to have pita bread and hummus and to have wine and bread around all the time is that's normal. So Jesus has his friends around and he's like, guys, and he starts breaking the bread and passing this cup around, and they're all sitting around on top of each other, and he just starts to let them know what's about to happen. And as opposed to other scriptures where it talks about the communion, like the Last Supper, which the, it's, the heading is the Last Supper in the scripture, I, I think it's so awesome what Jesus does when we haven't seen each other, and then he's gluing something together for us this morning. Because I, um, I, I went to the Road to Emmaus story for whatever reason. I was praying about my five to seven minutes of sharing today, which I'm going to try and keep to that. And I was drawn to the road to Emmaus, which is at the end of Luke. It's at Luke 24. And uh, yeah, I got to have these glasses because this print is very small. You guys know the story. So there's two guys and they have, they have recently been told the news that Jesus has passed away. But two of the followers that were women had seen him. And so this story is drifting around and these two guys are making a journey to Emmaus, and the scriptures tell us in Luke 24 that they're about seven miles out. Now, if you're walking fast, like a 20 minute per mile pace, that's about two and a half hours to journey. And along this journey, this stranger comes about. And I'm just going to pick up in the story on verse 28. And just keep in mind, this is why we need to go together. This is why we gather together and say, this is the beginning of the week. Praise be to God and look each other in the eye and do church together. We're starting our week together saying, Jesus, we need you. And Jesus, I need you. I need my brothers and sisters so that we can see. And here's, here's a great example of why we need to roll together. All right. All right. This is verse 28. So the story goes, these guys have been walking. They've been talking. Crazy enough, these two guys are like, yeah, haven't you heard what happened? There is the Messiah, and he was to redeem the people from Israel, in parentheses, and he didn't. Yeah, Jesus was bringing freedom, but it wasn't quite the cultural definition that those guys have been brought up in, and they needed to be shooken out of that cultural mindset of what Jesus was and is and forever will be. Not that we need that today or anything. Verse 28 As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. Now, these guys do not know it's Jesus just yet. But they urged him. The two guys urged them strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. Here it goes. You ready? This happened this morning in worship. It happened this morning in worship. (laughs) This is awesome. So when he was at the table with him, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to him. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he had disappeared from their sight. And this is what happened. We saw this practitioned in worship and the expression of music this morning. We were saying, were not our hearts burning within us? while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. See, folks, we need each other. We need communion because it's common. It's the most ordinary thing. It's, it, it's grape juice. Well, wine. The grape juice is for the kids over here. 
It's wine and bread. It's grapes and bread. But communion's awesome because I like common union. For any of you who are married, I've I've known Nada for 20 years, longer than that. We were we dated for four, so 24 years, and I feel like I'm barely getting to know her. So that whether it's the union of marriage or it's the union of your relationship with God or God, you know, the, the, the union within the Holy Trinity, that mystery, we, we walk, we ride that line of common, this completely ordinary thing, and yet this extremely mysterious thing that happens. And all in all, when we take in this sacrament, we have to receive it from what would be a stranger, from another person. And in that reception of the sacrament, we become the sacrament. As we receive forgiveness, we become and distribute forgiveness. When we're told, hey, the waters have been parted for you, then when you step out tomorrow morning with each step, you part waters for everybody around you. Does that make sense? So we receive today the body and the blood. There are going to be four stations. And you need to know that there's going to be someone that's going to distribute this to you and you're going to take in Christ. It's a rad idea. But what everything that Andy was talking about, the reason why we're doing this is because we're going to physically, we talked about incarnation, we talked about Jesus being in us, and now we're saying we're going to partake and eat of this. We're physically going to partake of this together as a community. We're going to take in the bread. And you're going to dip that bread in the wine. That's called an intinction for all you good Methodists out there. You're going to dip your bread in the wine. And there are going to be four stations with people from our community that are going to say, hey, the body broken for you and the blood poured out for you. Go in peace. And you know what? You just, as there's stations around, I think the band might play a song or we might have some house music. Um, But Lord, let's just pray that, Lord. Some of us this morning are on that road and we're about seven miles away from Emmaus. And some of us are on a journey and we have got Jesus, you have met us this morning. Some of us are on a road that we're not sure how long it's going to take. And you're like a stranger that has just shown up on the road. And this morning, God, I just pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as we partake of the bread and partake of the wine, that God, just like it happened for Cleopas and the other man on the road to Emmaus, God, that you would like that. Like that, God, that we would immediately say, weren't our hearts burning? You're in our midst. You've been there all along. Will you open up our minds to how you've been there all along this morning? That this simple yet deeply profound mystery of taking in the body and the blood, God, that this would be This would be our worship and that you would open our eyes just like the men on the road to Emmaus. And I ask that for everyone in this room and in the beautiful community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and everybody said, amen. There are four stations, just whenever you feel ready, come on up. And again, the grape juice is over here to my right for the kids. Or the kids at heart.